what would you like to be called? Um, Skip. I know. Do you want a title? <laughs> do you want a company name? What the, f- what um, the fuck yeah, do you this, want? It probably. Let me help there. you. Uh, let help me help you look good. Well, you got you got your work cut out for you then, don't you? True. Uh, just go ahead and say uh, vice president uh, of Crescent Mortgage Company and owner of Cairo Sales Group. And I know I'm like a like a British royal here. I've got that's the title that keeps going. And uh, founder and host of the Big Skip Energy Podcast. Basically, right. I want you to do a shameless plug for me up front. That's that's that, that's what I'm asking for right here. Well, guess what? You just did it for yourself. Hey, Warners, welcome to another episode <laughs> of The Women Your Mother Warned You About. I'm Gina Tremarco with Sales Gravy. And if you didn't hear who my guest is today, I just let him introduce himself. I tricked him into it and he fell in hook, line and sinker. He should be able to. This show is brought to you by Sales Gravy and Sales Gravy University. Let's go ahead and jump into this episode with Skip Wilcox. You just heard all of his titles and all right. the things that he does. Grand and, Poobah, everything. Yeah, all the things. And I'm excited to have you here. I know you're so excited. <laughs> oh, man. You have no <laughs> idea. When I got the text, I said, it's like, I mean, it was like the call up to the major leagues. I'm sitting there in AAA and I just, I had to answer the call. I had to answer the call. Awesome. Awesome. So it was, Jeb Blunt calls this like an Easter egg hunt. Like all of a mm-hmm. sudden you found the Easter egg. I am your Easter egg. Fantastic. We said that once to a client and that was a really big mistake because he was Jewish. And no. he laughed. He laughed. He laughed sure he did. But he, um, he said, that's he so said, funny. He said, it's so funny since I'm Jewish. I'm like, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> there we go. We got to have a swing and miss. Yeah, exactly. We got to have fun with this. You and I go way back. We do go back a ways. Yeah, a ways. We've known each other for a while. Two years now. Thank you for having me on your show recently. Oh, thank you for coming on. Take a little moment here to shamelessly plug your podcast. Oh, oh, so I get to plug my podcast on your podcast? Yeah. This is how podcast this is how podcast hosts help each other. It's called reciprocation. I appreciate that. Yeah. So give us a little give us a little glimpse into your show. The Big Skip Energy Podcast was founded about about a year and a half ago. And we're on season three now of the Big Skip Energy Podcast. And Gina, you kicked off season three recently, and you are the number one episode for the season so far. Oh. Yes, yes. that. Three downloads, you win. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> so, no, the uh, the podcast, I started it to, as a way to bring sales knowledge, not only to my industry, which is mortgage, but just to people in general. So having people on that can share their thoughts. It's an interview-style show. And hope that people can have a few takeaways to help kind of grow their business, make a difference in in some new and exciting way, and just get exposed to a lot of things. I think a lot of times we get pigeonholed into our own particular industry. And I know mortgage and banking is like that. And I think it's really important that we have some diversity of thought and have some yeah. different people on there. So yeah. that's what I've been trying to do. Well, kudos to you. Congratulations. I know when you first told me you're going to do a podcast, I'm like, why? Yeah, yeah, I know. Why are you signing up for this? And keep in mind that having worked with you formerly, I I won't come out and say how that was. You can say it because I like to stay confidential. Having worked with you formerly, it is just an occupational hazard for me as a coach to be like, what's your end game? What's the purpose of this podcast? Because so many people talk about like, we should have a podcast. And I'm like, that's great, but you need a desired outcome for it because it's a little bit of work. Yeah, it is. It really is. And in case y'all are wondering and couldn't put the context clues together, Gina and I did work together. She was my sales coach. Feels like forever ago. Yeah. Yesterday at the same time. (laughs) So, but yeah, the podcast thing, it's like, that's the thing now, right? Everybody's got a podcast. And when I started it, I had no delusions of becoming like a Joe, Joe Rogan or something, but I wanted to try and bring something of value and have a good time doing it. I've been lucky that it's been pretty successful. Reached yeah. over twelve or thirteen countries now. Got a regular follow followship, and you know whatever that word is. I don't know what that word's supposed to be. Follower, followership, Follow, followership. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Audience? How about that? Audience. But uh, yeah, which is weird because I never really expected anybody 
outside my circle to listen to it originally. And here we are. I got somebody from Taiwan that listened to your episode. I got to add that to to my country list. So I love it. I love it. What is one one big takeaway you have from doing the show? Well, the takeaways for me are really twofold. One is I use it as much for my own learning and information mm-hmm. consumption as I do to bring it to others. But I've been really interested to hear people's story because I try and ask them questions about what they do outside of their known role or how they got to where they are. Again, finding those stories out is really interesting to me. And so it's kind of like pulling back the curtain a little bit. You get to see a little bit more of who the person is that brings this information to you. I think a certain comfort level that people have when they come on even if they don't know me, is it, it starts coming out and then you start having a real good conversation. I mean, you know how this works. You've had a successful show for a long time. And so I think getting them to open up is really the key to having some good content instead of just regurgitating what they're used to doing all the time. Yeah, I, I hear this all the time with doing my show when people come on and they say, oh, gosh, this was so different type of a show to do because I try to treat it like a conversation. Yeah. I'd love your thoughts around... I think why I'm I can do a podcast well as a host is being in sales. We have to like we have to be able to engage and ask the right questions to get people to talk. And so I see the skill is interchangeable. Like have I've also seen it as it's made me a better salesperson in discovery. Mm. The more I I, like you said, I've been doing this show now. We're in our fifth year. It's so interesting because we don't we call a full year a season. Maybe I need to change that, but you know, where this is the fifth year of the show. Yeah. And I feel like the more I do the show, the better I get in sales mm-hmm. conversations. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'd say so because asking the right questions is key. I mean, everybody knows that, right? But so few people actually do it. And I think we're having a little bit of a move back right now in the sales training and learning environment to that discovery piece. I mean, I'm seeing a lot of the influential people in our industry kind of start to focus on that more. I know Lee Sauls is working on that right now. Tony Morris, who does a lot of work with sales gravy now as well, they really focus on those questions and that upfront discovery and trying to get the information out. So I think that's really important. It's interview style and skills. I mean, that's what it is. Let's be honest. I mean, you're asking somebody to give you information to prompt the next line of questions. So it's the classic avoid the yes or no, but at the same time, you've got to ask the questions open-ended but that give you relevant information and not just not just some random shit that nobody cares about. Yeah, exactly. And I'm actually seeing a trend in this as well right now, working at Sales Gravy with the clients that I work with and coach, that one of the things that comes up over and over again is needing help with discovery. And I've been yep. doing more of that work lately. And it's mm. been fascinating to me, the true struggle that salespeople have with discovery. Like I've been kind of blown away sometimes because even through the yep. training process, I'm like, you have to focus on them and what's in it for them. And then I give them homework. I'm creating discovery questions. And then the questions come back with putting it all back on themselves. How yep. can we work together? How can I get you to work with me? I'm like, yeah, see, they're not oh, framing the right context. Uh, and that may be an end goal of yours. And that's great. But that ain't their goal. You that's know? Not, it, exactly. Uh, exactly. And so, you know, for me, having sold B2C and B2B in my in, in my life, the questions are obviously going to be different, but the but you're still trying to do the same type of thing. Yeah. And I think it's really important for people to focus on, and this is something that I've been fortunate enough to have kind of developed skill over the years, is reframing the questions to to appeal to the person that you're asking them. You don't want to ask. For example, let's let me just give you an example. If I've got a customer in front of me that I'm trying to take a loan application for, right? I know that I'm trying to get the application complete. That's all fine and good. So let's say I want to complete employment. Well, I'm not just going to go to them and say, all right, well, where have you worked for the last couple of years? Well, that that question sucks. It's boring. You could do a little, maybe a little bit better and say something like, so what do you do for a living? How long you? That's interesting. How long you been doing that? That kind of thing. Building on these types of questions, taking it just the, in your head, take it the next step further. Keep the other person in mind because you want a specific answer, but they don't know that, and then they don't care. So you've got to yeah. you got to get the information 
properly. And see, by doing that and asking the right questions, you prevent a lot of the issues going forward in in a sales process, not only from an objection standpoint, but also from just a internal processing standpoint for yourself and your own company. I know like during the loan process, you ask the right questions. You're going to avoid a lot of the issues that prevent a loan from getting approved or be able to head them off or identify them early and call it a day. And so that's why it's so important that you frame your questions, not only as or in the lens of the other person, but also ask them in a way that makes sense to them. You don't want to start throwing off our industry acronyms and everything, right? I mean, that's a classic sales thing. You don't want to start using jargon, right? Yeah. But it still happens all the time because we get super comfortable with it. Well, you, I had asked you a couple of days ago in a text message of like, what's your secret sauce? Oh, you're pulling, you're, yeah, you're pulling back the curtain. You're just, I'm, I'm you did. Pull, you did. I'm pulling back the curtain. Yeah. And one of the things that you said that is relevant to what you just said was that um, speaking the language of your prospects and translating what you do and sell into terms that they understand. Right. That goes hand in hand with that. Do you want to expand on that? Yeah. Basically, what I, what I was saying via text there is you've got to <laughs> you got to speak their language. Like a lot of times, if I'm talking to or if I'm training a group of loan officers that goes out there and is trying to build a referral relationship, if I can say referral relationship with a specific realtor or realty group or whatever the case may be, or fill in the blank for your possible referral partner, right? A lot of times they're going to go and say. Well, hey, I've got this process. I can always, or I close loans in X amount of days, or I do A, B, or C. Well, that, that's great. And, but you're assuming that they understand, they being your referral source, they understand what that does for them. It, because we think it's a foregone clue. Well they, well, they should understand that. They should know what closing a loan in 21 days or always meeting your contract date or having a clean pre approval or accurate proof, things like that. We always think that. Hey, they should know what why that's important. Well, yeah. yeah, maybe they do know, but you're not speaking their language. What does that do for them? So you have to put it in language. Let's say, hey, look, getting a pre-approval letter. Anybody who's bought a house knows that's the first step, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so if you have a good, accurate pre-approval letter, obviously that makes the borrower happy. But the realtor can take that and you say, hey, look, this gives you the ability to do A, B, or C. Or prevents problem A, B, or C. You gotta take it, take it, take the next step. You gotta stop at that point A and take it to point B, C, and D until you get to the language that they understand, which and I use the analogy a lot. What is gonna make their life easier or put more money in their pocket? Because that's what you're trying to tr- trying to do. Y'all, y'all are trying to help each other build business. And so those are the keys there. I think the biggest thing there is what you're hitting on is like don't make the assumptions like i talk about this all the time don't make an assumption that the customer understands what you're talking about even if you're like i sell to salespeople, but i cannot make an assumption that they understand what i'm selling and how it works yeah that's the thing you can't make that assumption and you go back to the mortgage industry (laughs) i bought a house last year with my husband and the process i've got so many stories about the mortgage process you do. One of the stories was when it was coming down to closing day and getting your bottom line number mm-hmm. of what you got to bring. And we got an email from our closing attorney. And the email was like, it was related to, it was related to us wiring the money. And we totally did not understand what she was saying in this email about wiring the money. And we're like, can we just bring a check? We're not comfortable with what we weren't. That was the issue. We weren't comfortable with wiring the money because we've never done it. Okay. But, you know, it's standard practice in our business, but you didn't do that. Correct. It is now standard practice. It was not standard practice when we bought a home last. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's in the last 10, 15 years. So you think about, so I even, I posted something on Facebook. I'm like, would you guys like, 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 I didn't care if I looked like a moron. I just felt really uncomfortable because there's been all kinds of wire fraud issues. And I'm like, I don't know what I don't know. The point is that this paralegal was kind of a snotty bitch to us with, with, (laughs) right? She's like, 
this is how it's done. Like every, it was sort of like the tone was everybody knows that. And I, I think I had a snarky reply back. I know it's like, oh yeah. Oh no. She goes, everybody does it every day or something like that. I go, oh yeah. I wire money all the time. I'm going to go to the Piggly Wiggly Yeah, you wire to the Nigerian prince every day. Yeah. I'm like always, yeah, let's, can I wire money at the grocery store? Yeah. I do it every day. (laughs) Yeah. Right. We don't do it every day. Right. And she was trying, she was like trying to make us feel bad like we were idiots. And maybe we were ignorant to the process. The point is, we didn't understand the process. There's no reason for you to have known that. Don't make that yeah. assumption that we do this every day. And those were her words. Because I think you're don't. a really good example. I'm glad it wasn't the mortgage person that did it. It was at least the paralegal. So yeah, it was the paralegal. But along the yeah. mortgage people front, that's another. Well, story. of course, the more the yeah, yeah, I could also say, well, your your loan officer should have told you about the process ahead of time and forewarned you about that. And the thing is that that my husband has used that loan officer many times. And this mm-hmm. was the first time that I don't know if it was the mortgage company's issue or if it was the home builder's issue for the money to be wired. Because he's used this loan guy a million times okay. for, for refis, for buying his places. So sure. this was the first time that this was coming up and it wasn't even coming from our guy. It was yeah. coming from this random attorney mm-hmm. that our builder recommended yada now go back to mortgage when we were getting ready to buy the house of course the builder says you can use our in-house mortgage company yeah, right yeah, yeah look at that face yeah. and of course my husband's like i got a guy that i'm loyal to because he he supports first responders i want to use him like yeah and i said yeah th- well let's just at least weigh it out and see what the builder comes back with, right? Because they've got right. credits and yada, yada, yada. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a different discussion for a different day. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So we needed a prequal letter, right? So we go to their in- internal because we thought it would move it faster. We honestly thought using the in-house mortgage person would move it faster for us because it was like when you like this, if you blinked, the house was gone, right? Yeah. And what wasn't even built yet. So... Yeah. That mortgage person just kind of didn't give us the warm fuzzies. She was dragging her feet. The sales rep for the builder was like, what's up? And I'm like, you tell me what's up. This is your in-house mortgage company. I thought maybe this would go faster because of that. And they're dragging their feet. And that mortgage person treated us like we just weren't valuable because I was in sales. And so mm-hmm. as being in sales, they were like scrutinizing my numbers and income. And, sure. And yeah. Anybody who drives or who gets incomes driven by commission or yeah, not W-2 wages is always scrutinized. Yeah. So they were scrutinizing that and we were getting frustrated. So we went back to David's guy mm-hmm. and David's guy produced a prequel letter in a minute. He's like, yeah, there's I have seen no problem with this. Like you guys are good. We tell that other mortgage person we're good. She doesn't seem to care. That's fine. Until a month before our closing. And here comes the call. Hey, I know you went with someone else. What kind of rate did you get? All she's got is coming back trying to beat a price at that point. I, I felt I was so offended. It felt like such a like violation of like, let me see you naked. I'm like, whoa, where where'd you just come well, from? We're going <laughs> but you know, like it felt like this weird, icky, <clears throat> creepy kind of reaction. I said, We're good. Thank you. Yeah. Isn't it funny, not to shift topics on that, but not just in mortgage, but any business or any sales thing, everyone always says, all focuses on, all they care about is price. All they care about is this, that, and the other. Yes, price. Isn't it interesting, though, how loan officers always say, well, all the customers care about is their rate. But that's what she's focusing the conversation on when she's trying to win your business back. Isn't that weird? Like, yeah. It's like, what, what are you expecting to focus on if that's what you're focused on? Right. She at that point was selling on price and someone else. I don't know if you told me this. I can't remember. Somebody told me this, that it's like that mortgage person looked at us like, oh, somebody else went through the process of pre-qualifying them. Someone did the heavy lifting. We know that they're qualified. Now let's go in. That It felt really shysty. Like, let us go in now because we know they're pre-qualified. So let's try to win them over with price and was like, well, what's the rate? I said, we're good. 
I wasn't going to tell her. And she kept going at it like, yeah. you know, I, we just want to see if we can give you a better rate. And I'm like, we're good. I wanted to say, I'll pay a point more to yeah. not work with you. Like, I'll pay a premium to not have to deal with you. Yeah, because yeah. that and that's the point, right? The, that that speaks volumes to your existing LO's relationship with you guys and how good of a job that he's done with that. So exactly. I think that's something that and frankly, I'm kind of proud of you for doing that. <laughs> Right. That is it. It comes down to the value of the relationship. My husband has worked with him for years every time he buys. And here's the thing, like that LO is not even in our market. He's located up in Pennsylvania. So Uh my husband's worked with him that long over a couple decades. Right. And continues to work with Philadelphia. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So continues to work with that guy. And so this person then became I got to tell you this story because I think you're going to enjoy this. Show some story time. She keeps going on about, tell me the tell me what you got. Tell me what you got. I'm like, we're good. We're good. We're good. Well, I am, kid you not, these are the words. I am required to find out why you went with the other company. That's a pretty easy answer. Oof. I was well, like, so are get you... Get your pen th- and paper ready, baby. I got something for you. I was like, is she that stupid? I oh, am required yeah. to find out. And I just was like, Gina, don't be ugly. Don't be a Karen. No, no, no. right. It's not going to do any good. Right. So I just respond back. I said, well, to be honest with you, they made us feel like they cared about us and like we mattered. And their customer service is excellent. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Oh, by the way, I'm friends with Angela, who was in your wedding. And I saw your pictures on Facebook of your wedding and you were so beautiful. Oh, that's nice. Too late for that crap. (laughs) It's like, random weirdness yeah. like, and, like 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 it's too late you're trying now you just sound awful you just you're lost like who, for good reason walk away just, just walk, walk away walk. from it learn your, your lessons do better next time go find your dignity somewhere but it's not <laughs> here and then a week before our closing uh-huh. we get another call from a different guy yeah right the next guy calls from the construction company's mortgage company yeah yeah, oh, different okay. guy, different guy, right? He was mm-hmm. a message and I'm like, all right, I'm returning his call just because I'm fascinated and I am going to get a referral out of this to find out who's in charge of training at this company yeah. because they truly need help. So I'm going to return his call. So I return I'm his I'm not going to make you name names, but I can pretty well guess who your, who your company is talking about. Uh, and you, we can talk about that off, talk about off Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm not going to disparage. No. So, so this guy, I call him back. He's like, hey, yeah, I'm John. With And uh, I see you were building a house with us and wanted to make sure you got your loan in place. Uh, what's your closing date? I said, a week from today. I said, I highly doubt you're going to be able to process a loan in the next five business days. Oh. Well, they yeah. can't. I mean, that's the that's not even long enough for the minimum required disclosures to go out. Right. So then I was like, Who is in charge of training? I'm like, how do you not know that we're closing next week? How do you not know that? Should have been from the first conversation with the other lady. They should have that in the file. Well, that's when I'm like, I'm happy to have you here. I want to ask you some questions about the process. Hey, well, I've got you on the phone, by the way. (laughs) Like, and I tell him everything that happened. Yeah. So he was the new guy. He just started. He didn't have a a region assigned to him yet. And they just gave him a bunch of files of, Clients that did not happen. And here, go for it till we figure out what we're going to do with you. Go make these calls. And I said, I am so sorry. That is really shitty. That is really shitty that they dropped these in your lap and said, go for it. Because the probability of any of these happening. Oh, so slim. You have to be beyond skilled and have perfect timing. And and be able to truly convince someone. And like, like you said, there was not even enough time. No, there's not enough time for that. Now, I mean, you've got you got three days for your initial disclosures, and you got to have three days for the CD. So you're already looking at six business days there. So I mean, you yeah, know, I had hey. to I had to share that story with you. What what is going on in our illustrious mortgage industry? <laughs> I, I do appreciate you're a pretty smart guy when it comes to. You've always I, enjoyed my 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 more like technical stuff. Why is I, that? I, I just I mean, why it's so boring. 
Maybe I, well, first of all, I'm fascinated by business and how business works. Oh, I'm I thought kind you were of, just fascinated by me. You know, I was oh, well, yeah, I'm fascinated by you. So I'm kind of geeky with that, which, which reminds me. So I just got back from Chicago where I was spending time with two of my coaching clients who sell trucks, mm-hmm. but they also finance. So it's two different companies. Mm-hmm. And so we actually, I did ride alongs with them all day and we just yeah. went, we just, targeted trucking companies, walked in, tried to get appointments. And the trucking industry in Chicago is really interesting. I'm sure it is. Across- I'm sure it is. I mean, it is. They We walked in and they were either Serbian, Russian. They're all Eastern European owners that we walked into. But one that we walked into was so fascinating because he was the CEO of the company, but he started out as their CFO and accountant. And so he had this econ background and that's how he ended up in the trucking industry, even though he too was Serbian. Uh, he yeah. started out in the financial end of it, but he it was fascinating talking to him about what they're going through right now and how a lot of trucking companies are, the smaller ones are going out of business. And so he was attributing their success of staying where they are and not having that struggle is it all came down to numbers and it all came yeah. down to and so we were totally geeking out over this like me it was fascinating um, yeah it is it is so so what is going on <laughs> <laughs> it's a weird time out there but you know it's not bad now is there bad news out there yeah unfortunately in our industry we've had several companies that haven't made it we've had some consolidations we've had layoffs those are obviously all negative things but if we can change this mindset into something of a more positive, like let's look at the bright side of things. So let's look at the good news and focus on that instead of things that we can't control, like companies merging, closing down, that kind of thing. I, I say we as mortgage professionals, um, but right now it's a weird time because we're in a situation where inventory is so low that it's keeping the price level at a fairly high level because demand has not decreased despite the the recent rise in interest rates. Demand is not, now the qualification sometimes has, has decreased and people wanting to buy a home, but maybe thinking about waiting, that has increased. So, but suffice it to say, we, we still don't have enough houses, right? And so that's still keep keeping prices up. There's still business to be had. The challenge that we're having as an industry right now is everyone's having to work 10 times harder for one quarter of the business that they're used to having. I don't mean off the record years of 2020, 2021. I mean, just in general. We have, this is probably the slowest mortgage market. Opinions and numbers vary on this. Let's just say in the last several decades. All right. And so it's really interesting. And there's so much focus on the interest rate right now because they shot up so quickly. It, people have had sticker shock. But a lot of the economic news is hopefully pointing to some easing in that area. But it's a very uncertain time. And uncertainty does not breed happy things from an economic financial forecasting standpoint, right? People don't like uncertainty. So, I mean, on one hand, a couple of weeks, we had a great jobs report. And for those of y'all that don't know, jobs report is good if we add jobs for the economy overall. However, mortgage rates are are more driven by generally negative economic news. So I'm not going to go into a whole economics lesson here, but we have a jobs report on one hand, so that hurt rates. But then a couple of days ago, we had the administration coming out and saying that they think that they have successfully curbed inflation now. Whether they have or haven't is a different discussion for a different day, but that's been poked out. So having inflation under control, that helps mortgage rates. So it's all over the place. It's just it's going crazy. It's very, it's very weird time. It's really interesting. I'm going to, I don't know if you want to, I'm going to take you there anyway. Okay. All right, let's do it. Let's get, let's okay, get let's, nuts. Let's do it. Your perspective on this, I don't know all the details, so I'm not going to say I understand all the facts. You probably know okay. better than I do. Oh God, this is going to be good. <laughs> Those with good credit scores paying more those with right, bad, right, 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 right. Yeah. yes. Can you give Has some that insight? Been news lately, I hadn't noticed. <laughs> Can you give so, some insight on? I would love to give some insight on this. Now, this is not going to be value judgment here. Okay, so I'm not going to say whether it's right or wrong, but I will say it's just persp- well, your perspective. Just kind of spelling it out and taking the sensationalism out of it. Good. All right. So there have been changes to the way that rates are calculated for certain loan programs, the core of mortgage financing, all right? And those adjustments 
are based off things like credit score, amount of the amount of your down payment, that kind of thing. All right. Now, those have been in place for a while, but there have been recent changes as of May 1st that made the adjustments to rates a little less severe for people on the lower credit score end of the spectrum and have increased slightly on the higher end of the spectrum. So it is easy to look at this as a Robin Hood mentality. I'm stealing from the rich to give to the poor kind of thing, for lack of a better analogy, right? But is that really what's going on? The question, I think, is really more of an impact question. How is it going to impact? And I think you're going to find that it's just simply not like is somebody with a 780 credit score now all of a sudden not going to want to buy a house or not be able to be priced significantly more than they were before? No. Are they going to have to pay a little bit more? Maybe a little bit. It's really kind of funny because the... But, but why do they why, have to what? pay more? Why do they have to pay more even though they have a better credit score? So the... Because Fannie and Freddie, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, the two government-sponsored enterprises that that back these types of loans that we're talking about here, right? They have got a charge to encourage homeownership. And the administration has just said, okay, now let me back up here. The federal, federal housing finance is who oversees Fannie and Freddie, which is a separate. It's not the White House. It's not Joe Biden. All right. <laughs> Directly anyway. But there is, but there is a desire to try and encourage homeownership along what some lower credit score echelons. At the same time, Fannie and Freddie have a mandate. They have to make money. Okay. So they're going to try and make it easier, but they still want to make their money too. Right. So they're going to take it from one party and shift it over to the other. That's what's going to happen. That's the driving force behind it. Cause essentially they still want to make their profits, but they also want to encourage more homeownership. Which is interesting because we don't have a, it's not like we've got a lot of houses left to, to buy right now, but it's, I've seen people say, oh, this is going to lead to the next subprime disaster. This is going to be this. No, it's not. It's just not going to do it. And really cool. Yesterday, the announcement came out. I don't know if you've heard about this. As part of these initial changes, there was a debt to income ratio adjustment along with these credit score or loan to value mm-hmm. down payment, whatever terms you want to put it in there. There, there was one for your debt ratio being over 40%. For, the, for those of y'all out there that don't know what that means, don't worry about it. Suffice it to say, we complained enough as an industry and they took it out. Okay. So that money grab is gone. So that's good. So that'll actually help everybody across the board, good credit and bad credit or less than perfect credit from having to pay more. And what paying more is someone with good credit? I really, how much more are you paying? What's the... Well, it... <laughs> The dollar figure is going to be driven by what loan size that, that you're talking about, because these are basis point adjustments. So we're talking about a fraction of a percentage to the price of your loan. We're not talking about if you had, I'm throwing out this rain. It's not like your rate's going to go from five and a half to six or something like that. These are very incremental changes. So if there's an effect to the interest rate itself, not much. I really hesitate to say the amount, but usually... It'll be less than a quarter or an eighth, typically. Yeah. And so putting your sales hat on, and that's kind of why I wanted to go there, because if we look at (laughs) if we look at this from a sales perspective, right? You use the word sensationalized, because this has Mm -hmm. been sensationalized. Yeah. I think most news is sensationalized. And then you gotta take the time to really understand what the facts are. Thus I ask that question. To some extent, you may get pushback from buyers who are going to be like, this is bullshit and why should I have to pay more? And so it's a they're resisting, in essence, a price increase is what Mm -hmm. would be happening. Are you seeing some of that? And whether or not you are, how do you handle that reaction to? Let's take a step back before I answer that question. and, And let's just look at the situation as a whole. And this is not, I mean, people could say this is my opinion on this, but I think it's really more taking all the sensationalism out of it. The fact remains that this is not going to encourage a whole lot of lower credit score, homeownership, or dissuade higher credit score. That's just a fact. They're, they're shifting money from one or the other. So there's so many other factors that have to go into it, and that's not really going to be the be-all, end-all. But to your question, all right, so the first thing I would say to to a borrower that is coming to me and saying, Skip, I, I, I read the news, sounds like I'm going to be paying more, and blah, 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 okay? Well, 
the first question I'm going to ask is, does that make you not want to buy 123 Main Street? Well, no. I mean, I still love the house. I just don't like them having to pay more for it. Well, I, well, I get that. So so first, let's say, okay, let's look at it and say, okay, so you, also, so, so you still want the house, So, but you're bitching and moaning about having to do this that we can't control. I can't control that. ABC Mortgage can't control it. XYZ Mortgage can't get We all have the same crap we have to deal with, right? So is it's a matter of want and desire. Do you still want this house? Does it still do A, B, C, and D for you by buying this house? Yeah. All right. Let's go ahead. Let's push what we can't control to, to the side. Let's focus on why you were here in the first place and continue on going forward. Yeah. That's yeah. the first thing. That's the first thing I do. Because it's a lot of bitching and moaning. It's not it's not real legit concern. Right, right. It's not keeping people from saying from wanting to actually go through with a transaction. And I think it's really important for salespeople and for our listeners to take that in perspective, whether you're in mortgage or any other industry, it really does come down to what was the desire in the first place for the product? 100%. Why are you buying a house? Yeah. And by the way, if you're a loan officer, listen to this, or you're a realtor, listen to this or whatever, and you're not asking your prospect why they're doing this in the first place, you are missing the boat big time on both helping them yeah. and, and generating referrals in the future from that person. That should be like discovery question number one. It should be. But a lot of times, the vast majority, just like with any other sales industry, the vast majority of loan officers out there are so focused on that transaction and trying to get the nuts and bolts together, they forget to ask why. And so yeah. it's just, it's, it is, it's like square one discovery, but it's, it gets overlooked so often by everybody. Yeah, I, a month or so ago, had talked to a real estate agent that was a lead that came in for coaching and she had shared with me that she basically, bottom line, I wrote a blog about it. I was looking for like a magic pill, a magic mm -hmm. bullet. She had been doing allegedly $40 million in home sales and last year and through the first four months of 2023, she was at 700000 which is not surprising, by the way, even if she even if she is good at what she does. Yeah. And so she was coming at this with like how desperate she was to oh, get me desperate. Right. And so we went through the whole conversation and I went through the whole discovery with her and I found ways to relate with her as a woman divorced, different challenges in her life that she had been going through. And I was able to tell her a couple of my own stories of how I was able to overcome some mm. similar challenges. And her reaction was, I want that. I want what you got. Yeah. I'm like, well, you can have that. I mean, she's like, okay, how do I work? Okay, I want to work with you. Right? Yeah. Great. So we walk through the program. You've been through it. And then I give her the price. And of course, it's a, oh, I can't do that. And I said, well, let's, let's, let's dial back a little bit. Here's what you shared with me. I know what you're telling. Like, did you not say you wanted you needed help with this? Because clearly you do. Yep. Right. Yeah. Let's go back to that. She knows it. You know it. Everybody knows it. Right. So she knew it, but then she was in a. She was at that point. I knew like she wasn't going to value what we were selling because she was just in a. I need a magic pill, and I even said that to her. I go. She even said to me, "I'm looking for the magic pill," and I like that's when I, I like. That, yeah. And that's the thing, like, that's the struggle as coaches, because I do a fair amount of coaching yep. now, too. And so that's the thing, like, people don't understand that or that after our discovery call, they they, they discover that it's not, in fact, work free. <laughs> they have to put in the work. You're only going to get out of it whatever you put into it. They're, right. Yeah, so. And that's what I said to her. I said, the magic pill is hard work. I yeah. said, you don't you probably don't want to hear this, but that's the answer. Is yep. that you're going to have to work to your point 10 times harder, right? The guys that I was with the other day riding along selling trucks, they have a mindset of, and we set this tone in, for them last year going into 2023. We prepped for it and they were on board and agreed with me. We're just going to have to work 10 times harder going into 2023. And we're okay with that. So we're going to work harder to get what we were getting, but that's what we have to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not like, like you said, it's not special to the trucking industry. It's not special to this or that or mortgage. The fact remains that in a lot of industries, now some industries are doing great. Some industries are having their 2020 and 2021 for mortgage. They're having that now. That's great. That's the way it always is, right? 
But a lot of times, and like it or not, we are teetering on a recession. And so uh, by a lot of measurements, we're already there. By most, we're heading towards one. So regardless, there are a lot of industries that there's just not as much business out there to have. So we have to change what we're doing in order to get the share that we want out of that. I'm going to ask you another interesting question. Okay. came to my mind. So I may have heard on some kind of town hall. Oh, um, goodness. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. Okay. What is your perspective on our debt as a country and the potential of, I may have heard someone say, oh, we're going to have to default. I will say, now granted, I am no, I am no professional economist or policy. Know, but I, but you're more, you're smarter than me at econ. So that's well, why I like to ask you these questions. I, I would, I can under, so first I'll say, I can understand why we would say, oh God, we're heading for a default more so now than we have when this problem has crept up in years past. I can understand that. I truly don't think we're going to default on our debt. I really don't. I think they're going to come in at the last minute with some sort of arrangement to either raise the debt ceiling and or correct what needs to be corrected here. So the circumstances now are a little different. Um, and there are a couple of different methods out there that the government can use to alleviate this problem. So it's just going to be a matter of who's going to sacrifice what, who's going to compromise where to make it happen. you got a Speaker of the House right now who desperately wants to keep his job. And so he may or may not want to, well, he doesn't want to do anything that's going to end up costing him his position most likely. And this, y'all, and this is not politics one side or another. These are just simply facts. And on the flip side, you've got got people that are trying to get participation from the opposite party to come over to make this happen. And it's just it's a it's a whole juggling act. And some something's going to have to give. And I think it's going to give at the last minute. I think we're going to teeter, and it's going to be one of those things yeah. where midnight they're going to they're going to ink something to help go. And you probably support me on this thought process is that we cannot get caught up in that drama as salespeople. We still have to go out there. We can control it. There's absolutely nothing we can do about it. But you still got to go out there and sell and you have to do it in the mindset of, this is my opinion, my opinion, I go out there in the mindset of everything is awesome. Well, until someone tells me it's not, I'm not going to worry about what could happen. Correct. So I'm going to continue to behave and make my decisions based off what is going on now versus what could happen. I mean, I could walk out the door of my hotel I'm in right now and get hit by a truck. Does that mean I'm just not going to leave? No. So So how do we so how do we deal with buyers and customers that are not going to subscribe to the same attitude you and I are going to subscribe to? And they're in they're caught up in the drama and fear of what could happen, and therefore that's their objection now for not buying. Well, I think it comes full circle. First of all, you should never make a decision based off fear. Fear is never a good emotion to base any of your decisions off. Yeah, but how do you tell? How do you do? You outright tell a buyer that? I have, but okay. that's, it depends on who you're talking to, right? But it right. kind of goes back full circle to our conversation at the very beginning about putting this in terms that they can understand and relate to. Say, look back at their situation. Is this something that they need to do? They say, Skip, oh, we're going to, recession's coming. We're going to default, going to be a massive recession. I could lose my job. You know, that, then we'll just have bought this house. We're going to lose the house. It's like, hmm. Oof. first of all, we as salespeople or mortgage originators have got to, again, understand the gravity of what the borrowers are, customers, whatever you want to call them, borrowers in our industry, are looking at in terms of their side of the table. This is the biggest financial decision that they are likely going to make in their lifetime, whether they realize it or not, they have to understand it. We have to remember it. And so treating it as such is one of the first steps to kind of dictating how that transaction goes. Because if you acknowledge, hey, this is a big deal, but here's what we're going to do about it. And then you take them down that path. It's going to help alleviate a lot of their fear. Fear comes from uncertainty. And a lot of uncertainty can be controlled by the way you dictate that transaction. Now, does that mean they're still not going to come at you with concerns? No, of course not. Do, is the right answer to be like, nah, I don't worry about that. It's fine. No, it's not. Because it is your job to be the authority, to be the advisor to these people. And do you have to be a master economist? No, but you got to have a good understanding. And if you don't, then yeah, you're going to lose some deals. So now's the time also, if you aren't already in a position where you're comfortable 
discussing things that impact your business, economics or whatever the case may be, if you're in medical, whatever, whatever's going on with that, it doesn't matter what your industry is. If you're not able to have a good, large macro conversation, you really need to start educating yourself. This would be a good opportunity to start. I think that's that answer your question. I don't know if that answered your question. No, it did. It did. I wanted, I just wanted to kind of put that thought in, in sellers' minds of, right, how are you going to, how are you going to continue to deal with, we're not out of, we're not out of it yet. How are you going to continue to deal with this fear that prevents people from taking action and making decisions? And some people you can come right out and say, don't be in a place of fear. At the same time, yes, and we want to validate where people are coming from. Absolutely. Right. And then because it is, it's it's a valid, it's a valid concern. Yeah, it's valid. And the and, right, the yes, and concept of like, and here's what's going on. And I think this is a really strong takeaway as we get ready to wrap up the show for anyone out there selling. I'm not great at econ. That's one reason why I bring Skip into these conversations because he's got that knowledge. But you can have a little bit of knowledge that's going to help carry you in these sales conversations. Know what's going on in the economy so that you can help dispel some of the fear because the average Gina or the average Joe might not have a good handle on it. So you could actually put yourself in a higher position as a seller if you have a little bit of education and you stay on top of what is going on right now and do your fact finding and the swipering skipping. So I'm going to come off that a little bit and say, but at the same time, talking about like in my industry, for example, and everyone's industry has their own thing, right? But in my so if I follow all the economic reports that come out and there's a handful that come out regularly that always impact my industry, if I spout that back off to a customer, they're not going to know what the hell I'm talking about. So it goes back to what we said earlier. You got to put it in terms that they can understand and realize the Correct. impact of it. Because, because if you don't, they're going to come off confused, intimidated, or offended. Yeah. Correct. Uh, more than likely. Yeah, and so it's just, yeah. That, that, you have to talk it. I would say talk it in fifth grade terms. Like, well, yeah, I don't really like using the fifth grade term. <laughs> that, that makes your, your, your recipient sound dumb. But, but, but it's got to be easy enough. I, yeah, it's not about being done. Right. You got to make it easy enough that I can, like, I'll, I'm going to say, tell me in fifth grader terms, because if yeah. I'm not well versed yeah. in economics and you and listen, I'm as guilty of doing it as anybody else. It's things that I catch myself doing. I, sometimes I'll even I would have even been mid like sentence. I stop and be like, you know what? L- l- let me rephrase this because I've catch myself using language that I'm comfortable with that. Right. They may not be. And this is business to business or business to consumer, right, y'all. Right. You can't assume that uh, just because you're dealing with somebody who's in the same type of thing every day that you are, they still speak your language because we're still very specialized from a business standpoint. Yeah. Okay. So Sorry. that's no, no apologies. So I've got a, you had said. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Here you we go. said when I asked you for your secret sauce stuff, you're very quick thinking and adaptable. Oh, I'm, and- I'm and you said, rapid fire me. Yeah. I said, hey, give, give me some questions. Let's see what comes out. So, now, before before we start this, is there anything that I'm not allowed to say on the show? <laughs> nope. You okay. can say whatever you want. All right, so good. I am going to rapid fire you. This might become part of the show now. I like right. it. I like it. Let's go. So fire. I'm going to I'm going to ask you 10 questions and you have to respond as quickly as possible with as few words as possible. Some of these are going to be one word answers. Some of them might be a little bit longer. All right. All right. Here we go. Here we go. Favorite sports team. Braves. Favorite ice cream. Chocolate peanut butter. Boxers or briefs. Boxers. Favorite day of the week. Monday. Sure thing or long game. Say that one more time. I didn't hear you. Sure thing or long game. Long game. Most memorable fail. (laughs) Does marriage count? No. First say, thing that uh, comes to mind, moving on. Biggest brag. <laughs> oh, you oh, you got me dirty that time. Biggest brag, kids. What makes for a good sales coach? <laughs> the ability to listen. Favorite podcast? Big Skip Energy Podcast. <laughs> and last but not least, what people would be surprised to know about you? 
Oh, like like something that people would be surprised to know about me? Oh, do not slow down the answer. Yes. No, I was yeah, sure what, that what people would be surprised to know about Star Oh, let's see. That I am a massive Star Wars nerd. Ah, okay. Well, it is in your LinkedIn profile, but we'll take that. It is, but most people don't <laughs> read that. That's why I put that down there at the bottom to see who really actually reads the description. Yeah, you know what I put in my LinkedIn description to see if people will. Have you read mine? Not in a while. Okay, go back and read it. All the oh. way at the bottom. Got to go all the way at the bottom. You're going to do it right now. Oh, no, we're doing it right now. You've got 10 <laughs> seconds. All right. It's somewhere at the bottom because I always forget about it. I need to update mine. You do need to update yours. I know I do. Daughter of a mobster. <laughs> there it is. Here's the reading. It's true, though. It is accurate. And if you don't know that story, then you need to listen to Gina's episode on the Big Skip Energy podcast, available now on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Nice. All right, Skip. And if people want to reach out to you for more of your intelligence and wisdom, <laughs> what are the best places for them to reach out to? Best place to find me is going to be either on LinkedIn or at kairossalesgroup.com, which is K-A-I-R-O-S, salesgroup.com. There's two or, S's there, back to back. Kairos yes. sales group. We'll put that in the show notes as well. Thank you, Big Skip, for being here on the women your mother warned you about today. Well, thank you, Gina. It was a pleasure. Awesome. Thank you, listeners, for listening to this episode brought to you by Sales Gravy and Sales Gravy University. And hey, you want to up your game? Go check out salesgravy.university now. Great stuff, y'all. Great stuff. Thank you. Great stuff. I last count, it looked like 224 courses or more. We add them daily on demand and live at salesgravy.university. Even I have a couple courses there that you can take. So go check that out. And we will see you on the next episode, both on YouTube and you can listen to us. So you get to see Big Skip on YouTube. Check it out. Check it out. We'll see you guys later. Bye.